Hello and welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of this review and you can find this review as well as many, many others at my website, quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Today's film is the highly anticipated summer blockbuster Avengers Age of Ultron. It's a 2015 release action science fiction adventure. It's rated PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi action, violence, and destruction, and for a few suggestive comments. The runtime is 2 hours and 21 minutes. It stars Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, Mark Ruffalo, Jeremy Renner, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Elizabeth Olsen, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, the voice of James Spader, and smaller roles for Samuel L. Jackson, Don Cheadle, Paul Bettany, Anthony Mackie, and Linda Cardellini as well as Andy Serkis. So, one might guess that writer-director Joss Whedon might be engaging in a bit of damage control that Avengers Age of Ultron might be a bit of a letdown as far as entries in the Marvel Cinematic Universe when, a week before its official North American release, he announces that the three-hour version he intended to release in theaters will be released on a special edition Blu-ray after his theatrical run is done, along with an alternate ending he had in mind. Now, it makes a certain sense that there is 40 minutes of footage excised, as the problem with this capper to the Phase 2 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe series is that it feels like it's missing a good deal of expository information, with what's left feeling like the creators are taking us for granted through the use of narrative shortcuts to the main action. Now, that's not to say that the first big crossover, 2012's The Avengers, didn't have similar issues, but at least that one had a good villain in Loki, who is, thus far arguably, the Marvel Cinematic Universe's only interesting bad guy. Now, this one features an AI android set on evolving humans, or or perhaps even destroying them, depending on which convoluted explanation uh, he seems to hatch on a whim at various points in the film you buy. And at this point in the film series, most fans have resolved that the plot is really secondary to the action and some of the humor. And at least we get plenty of both in abundance of those. So it might feel less than inspired. And there's not really a lot underneath the surface to say anything but to perpetuate its own existence and perhaps set up for the sequels that are going to inevitably follow it. But if you've been entertained with Marvel's movies thus far... It's good enough for at least one sit. Now, as far as the plot goes, the film starts with a battle, uh, quite a very well-staged battle, I should add, for Loki's scepter. It's a remnant from the first crossover film of 2012, and it had been used for its power to draw forth two more beings of an inordinate ability and skill in the form of twin brother and sister Pietro, and Wanda Maximoff, who are played by Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen, respectively. And uh, Pietro is a speedster, and uh, Wanda Maximoff is a telekinetic mind warper. Now, in their comic book form, they are known as Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, respectively, so uh, you can anticipate them. Now, after the battle... The Avengers end up with the scepters in, in, in his possession. Tony Stark gets it, and he uses it 
to try to get the power to create an army of artificial intelligence robots, essentially, uh, that will work in harmony to shield the Earth from any possible alien threats in the future because he is still reeling from the alien invasion that happened in the last crossover film. Now, however, as the first AI creation emerges, unbeknownst to him, uh, it actually uh, has a belief that it needs to protect Earth from harm, which is what it was created for. But uh, Tony puts it achieving peace in our time. The AI entity, which eventually dubs itself Ultron, thinks that to create peace on Earth means to eradicate the ones most responsible for the perilous situation that we all find ourselves in, and that is humans. So now it's up to the Avengers to keep this new new entity, Ultron, from succeeding in its myth, mission of protection through destruction. So the best part of Age of Ultron is really the best part of nearly any Joss Whedon-helmed film or television show, and that's the snarky interplay of the characters. Now, usually they're engaged in some sort of R&R between battles, and that's usually when we find much of the humor. Sometimes you find it during the actual battles themselves, and uh, there's some truly funny gems in the film. Now, I, I don't want to give examples of uh, some of these gems, because I think that to tell you the jokes, to tell you the punchlines, might spoil the film somewhat, because clearly the best part of the film is the sense of humor that Whedon brings to it. Now, the jokes uh, and joviality are also kind of a double-edged sword. They're somewhat pro problematic, because... The Ultron situation has escalated to the point of the imminent dis extinction of all humanity. And the cataclysmic fiasco that this is, is almost entirely as a result of the experiments done by Tony Stark and Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner uh, in the film. So it leaves you wondering why they are so casual that they have kind of goofed and uh, now are about to wipe out the entire human race. So... They are seen bantering over a few brews. They're engaging in some flirtations between each other. And while this is going on, all of our lives are hanging in the balance. Isn't that nice? So now with so many characters, so much plot for this and future ent entries to squeeze in and action scenes that are, you know, it's the bread and butter of the, of the franchise. So action scenes are quite prolonged. There's really not much time for individual actors to shine in their roles beyond just a few choice character beats for each. Now, I won't say the cast is sleepwalking through the movie because they are quite a capable cast and of professionals. And I anticipate that they do give it their all, but there's little for them really to do or say of great significance this time out. And really the result is uh, the game plan really is just to keep the story moving forward. Now, there is uh, a little bit of uh, a, a few changes here. There's a burgeoning love affair between Black Widow, played by Scarlett Johansson, and the Hulk, uh, Ruffalo's. And it's kind of developed in a great hurry here. We never saw in the past any kind of uh, inkling that there would be romance between them. And now we get hit hard with it in this film. Seems to be in a great hurry to establish them as an item. Uh, and the soap opera elements have now begun to creep into the franchise. Ostensibly, it gives some pathos to these characters, but the way that it's developed here feels a little weak and unwarranted to showcase all of a sudden 
and spend so much time dwelling on it, especially when you had, when when Whedon had to cut out so much of his intended film. Now, the secondary characters are more beefed up, which means we get a little bit more Hawkeye and Black Widow and Hulk. Uh, and about taking a backseat is Thor and Iron Man and Captain America, who have their own films to explore anyway. So uh, given the contractual situation between Marvel as well as these actors who are probably growing a bit tired of playing the same roles over and over, I think that those big name characters are going to be used sparingly for the next big crossover, and so you won't see a lot for them from here on out. Now, there's a possibility that there's going to be a shakeup in the makeup of the team here, and, you know, that's in keeping with the comic book, which would do it from time to time. You would see different members of the Avengers at different times. It was never always the same uh, big three plus others. So the character of Ultron himself is also kind of a bit problematic. Now, Ultron is acting out of what it feels are noble intentions, but those intentions ultimately do more harm than good, which kind of uh, is an allusion to how its creator, Tony Stark, always happens to do the same uh, out of his own fears and need to fix things. And he fixes things beyond reparability, ironically, uh, now, Ultron is kind of the amplified, darker side to Stark. Uh, Ultron adapts uh, Stark's personality to a certain extent. Uh, he doesn't have the same voice. He's actually voiced by Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, co-star in a couple of other films from the 80s, Tough Turf and Less Than Zero, James Spader. Now, outside of Ultron's menacing look, he emerges as kind of... Uh, lackluster villain to follow he's just an entity to defeat very powerful but really not much you haven't seen before in terms of mad robots and he has an army of robots of his own creation uh primarily like the aliens that were in the 2012 version of the avengers it they can keep it kind of bloodless pg-13 while still uh having major destruction in all of the battle sequences Now, at this point in the series, the element of diminishing returns is kind of settling in. Audiences know full well what to expect from each successive entry. The main actors themselves are probably finding it overly familiar, so there's not really a lot of emphasis on character growth for the main players, which is why we see Ruffalo and Renner and, and, uh, to a certain extent, uh, Johansson get more backstory this time around. Now, adding to the cast, Aaron Taylor-Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen are the new additions playing Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Now, they do start off, at the very least, as adversaries to the Avengers, and by the end of the film, they may still be that way. It's uh, something that you'd have to watch for yourself. Uh, They both have a history in the comics as being members of the Avengers, so I think that you can kind of see where they will eventually go. Now, the uh, the characters Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are also members in the comics of the X-Men, which is why you saw in X-Men Days of Future Past Quicksilver as one of the cast members of the X-Men as well. Now, Marvel is allowed to use them because they actually were known for being in the Avengers, but they can't refer to them as being mutants because that is currently in control of Fox uh, for the cinematic releases anyway. So my opinion, Quicksilver, you know, not that exciting. Probably should have been left to Fox to leave in the X-Men franchise. He's just a fast-running guy, and he was used to actually better effect in Days of Future Past anyway, so it feels a little anticlimactic to see him here. Now, 
while there's as much CG action as you could ever hope to have in a major motion picture release, there's so much of it. There's really not a sense of awe when it does occur because it's really almost wall-to-wall. There's CG in almost every scene. Now, uh, if you like fun characters tearing up the landscape like uh, like a really well-rendered video game, uh, that's really not just going to cut it these days because there's a blockbuster showing the same thing every other month in the Cineplex, so uh, there really isn't any kind of sense of realism or dread or purpose for most of it except it's just audience expectations that we're going to have that in the film. So uh, at some point, given that millions of people, or if you want to say billions, since uh, Earth uh, humans are probably going to be extinct, uh, since people are in mortal jeopardy at any given time, we should probably feel some sort of palpable danger to the public at large. And yet what we end up doing is watching these superhumans battling out over the New York City landscape. And the humans that are in the background all feel like props in the film, just like the buildings, just to they're never really part of the action, not really proactive or even reactive. They're just there to, I guess, emphasize that the humanity is trying to be saved by the Avengers. And the Avengers, while trying to minimize collateral damage in kind of a perfunctory way, uh, we don't really get the sense from them that they're trying to save any particular person or people, even ones that are most directly in danger of losing their lives at that moment in the all-out destruction that they're a direct part of. Uh, They seem to be more exhilarated by the battle than they are in uh, deep concern for the people that could presumably die as a result of their own uh, bumbling, to use an expression here. Now, in the end, Whedon's film ends up being a middling entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, perhaps due to having to compromise too much in order to squeeze in so many elements that set up for a future release and causing the story itself for this film to stay in bare-bones mode to stay under the 2-hour and 20-minute mark. Now, even at 2 hours and 20 minutes, it's still Marvel's longest film to date. So until the Blu-ray release, I won't really be sure what has been excised, but I would wager that I would be more interested in the material that's on that Blu-ray extended version if it gives better pacing and rationale to what is going on in the film, then I am in seeing what did end up in the film as Hulk and Black Widow make goo-goo eyes at each other seemingly every three scenes. Now, I'm uncertain if Whedon's vision for this one has been compromised by studio bigwigs who feel that they know better where things should go, or if Whedon himself was really tapped out creatively, perhaps exhausted from working so much on the Avengers franchise, Given that the next two Avengers crossover flicks are slated to be done by the Russos who did the last Captain America film, Winter Soldier, Whedon isn't really on deck for any other projects other than perhaps continuing to act as showrunner for the floundering television show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Maybe the writing is already on the wall for a future collaboration between Whedon and Marvel. Age of Ultron feels like it's on autopilot. Rather than made with the kind of guidance of a formidable creative mind with a legion of fans to inspire as Whedon generally is. So it's the kind of safe, pat, and predictable movie made more by people who fear failure than they have a desire to be the best out there. 
Now, Whedon has often used humor and banter in effective ways to have us laugh at the foibles of the characters and not take what they're doing too seriously in the way that marred DC's Men of Steel for being so laboriously serious, uh, but perhaps bolstering the serious elements here to be at least as interesting and engaging as a comedy could have made Age of Ultron a great deal better than what it ends up. Whereas the 2012 movie felt like a major event that everyone involved had been really amped to do, this follow-up feels like a chore that they had to do. Luckily, for fans who will feel like the Avengers couldn't live up to the quality of its build-up in Captain America the Winter Soldier, there's really enough choice banter to keep the entertainment value afloat as purely a popcorn action movie and plenty of eye-candy melees, even if even if the film ends up being akin to Ultron itself, a formidable but soullessly artificial vessel that started out with such noble intentions that went bizarrely awry. If you happen to see this film, just know that there is a brief mid-credits extra scene in there, so you want to stick around a little bit into the credits. Uh, Whedon has said that there is no... uh, Stinger at the end, I didn't stick around to see because there's probably uh, 15 minutes of credits given how many uh, people worked on the visual effects and sound effects of this film. But I will let you uh, figure that out on your own if you're game enough. Now, I do give the film three stars out of five. That is a recommendation primarily for people who enjoy this series. It is definitely worthwhile and almost a must-see if you plan to continue watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe. However, if you have only sporadically ca- caught the Marvel films and you're probably uh, and you're possibly getting tired of them or if you've just skipped them out altogether, there's really not much here for you. So three stars, three stars out of five on Quipster.net. You can find this review, as I mentioned, and many, many others, over 3,500 others, Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R. .net. And if you want to write to me, you can write to me at quipster at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you subscribe. And I'll be back with another great summer release sometime in the near future. So you'll want to click the subscribe button after this one. Thank you very much.